G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. Well, I'd had a broken marriage and we separated, but I'd had a really bad car accident and my injuries were really severe. I had broken sternum. I had double vision that I actually saw. They weren't even overlapped. There were two of everything. So if I poured a cup of coffee, I had to put my finger in it to make sure that was it. I had to get an iron that would switch itself off because I had no short-term memory at all. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Diane Silvani had quite an ordinary life growing up in South Australia, with the possible exception of winning a beauty contest in 1969. However, all that changed one day when she was in a horrendous car accident. Fortunately, as we'll hear, she was miraculously healed. Diane Silvani is having a chat and sharing her story with Karen Hunt. Let's start where you were born in Cowell in South Australia. What was life like for you and your family back in those early days, Diane? Well, it's certainly very different to now. We we had pit toilets and you only had a bath once a week and all those <laughs> exciting things. Yeah. But I suppose everybody went to a church, you know, it was that was the centre of the community and, you know, my mum didn't work, you know, she made her own bread and we had wood stoves and we didn't even have 240 electricity. It sounds mm. like I'm really old, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and the telephone exchange was one that you wound it up and you got a little wow. lady saying connecting. So, wow. you know, at, what am I, nearly 64? So that's what the changes that have happened. We do have proper telephones now and we mm-hmm. do have flushing toilets. <laughs> so your family, mum, dad, kids, what did um, it look like? Basically, my mum was from a farming family that were first settlers to the area mm-hmm. and she married late in life. She'd been in the Air Force in the war. Um, something quite amazing she did. She actually received the telephone call from Darwin to from the to the Air Force in Melbourne saying Darwin was being bombed and we only found that out when she was dying. Is that true? So that's a bit exciting. Wow. So my dad was a builder. He could build a whole house except doing the wiring. Very hard working. Never owned a cent owed a cent to anybody mm-hmm. and um, helped everybody else. God bless them, hey? So givers and, and carers, yeah? Hmm. So for you yourself, brothers, sisters? I have one brother, a younger brother. How much younger was he? Um, 21 months younger. Were you close to him? Oh, I thought I was until my mum died. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do we say this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit of a shock. I'd looked after my mum and dad for 20 years and my parents had always really loved all of us and that and then my mum and dad were self-funded retirees and everything and they came to the Lord born again spirit filled but my brother wasn't and it created a bit of havoc in our whole family yeah and it's still the same unfortunately and I love him dearly because I've only got one brother yeah is he nearby or is he gone elsewhere so when you were young what would be your fondest memory Swimming. Yeah. We swam in the Franklin Harbour and we went down like every day after school in the summer and long bike rides and playing tennis and playing and netball and lots of community type things. 
So as a part of the community, a little birdie told me that you happened to have won the Miss Wyala competition in 1969. Is that accurate? Oh, I did. Yes, I was looking around to see who the lady they were pointing at, and it was me. Yeah. And in those days when you won it, you got a trip to Kangaroo Island. How exciting. <laughs> and photo shoots and all those sorts of things. But um, Miss Wyala, Miss Port Perry, and Wyala... Um, Augusta, we had a chaperone and the three of us went to Kangaroo Island to Kingscote for a week. A week? How was that? A week. It was exciting actually, yeah. The local superstars. We were and like all the young <laughs> men at that stage thought we were wonderful because we were beauty queens. Wow. A beauty queen in your own right. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like a, a movie to me. Let's just track back a little bit, Diane. Before yeah. you were 17 and 18, what did you love to do? So other than swimming, other than the beach, what were you good at? What did you enjoy? Um, I used to do a lot of sewing. And in those days, you didn't have shops around in our little towns. And so I spent a lot of time sewing for my girlfriends and myself. But I guess that was the main thing. We had, lots of, we had a big family room, so often all the girls would come around to my place. Yeah. You mentioned about your dad and uh, your mum too and about community involvement. What was your part in community affairs? Community, I suppose we in those days you did brownies and girl guides and, uh, and my mum was in the local church, the Anglican church, so it was polishing the brass once a week and doing flower arrangements and... All those sorts of things as well, but our lives were very full of doing those local things. It was it was a lovely life, really. You can look back and feel really pleased that you had that sort of upbringing. So, what about when you actually finished school? Did you stay local? Did you go away? What well, did you at pursue? That stage, my family had moved to Wyala, and, mm-hmm. and obviously that's where I became okay. the beauty clean and all those things. Yeah, um, because you couldn't go past year nine. Oh wow! Okay. Unless you went to Adelaide mm-hmm. or to the Cleve High school and so our family um, had moved us to Wyala so that we could get a, a you know a good education but still stay with the family. Mm-hmm. You mentioned to me before about uh, the boys and the direction that they were always encouraged to go and the way that the girls were encouraged. Share with well, our listeners what you told me then. It was pretty it's funny. It's amazing since my mum was such an important career type person she never married till she was 36 mm-hmm. and yet it was in my family that girls weren't educated and boys my brother's an electronics engineer mm-hmm. and went all over the world and I was sort of don't worry you're going to marry a fisherman or a farmer or something like that and did you worry I didn't until I realized there was much more for me yeah than that you know you sort of have this awakening I don't know I sometimes wonder why I didn't rebel more than I did because I didn't I just accepted it that's what that's you awful. knew hmm so what did you pursue I was clerical and receptionist and, you know, bookkeeping, all of those sort of things for quite a few years. Um, and then I, once I married and all those things, it, it, I started um, re-studying myself with TAFE and doing different things and becoming a lecturer with TAFE. Well done. When you finished school, you said you went on to do some local reception work and administration. You weren't too old when you married your hubby. Tell us where and how did you meet your husband at 20 years of age? Well, the amazing thing with my husband was um, we 
I don't know. He turned up. I was having a 16th birthday party for my girlfriend at my place. Yeah. And he turned up and he had evidently been eyeing me off for years or something, so he said. And he was an electronics engineer too. And uh, anyway, we ended up getting married about five years later. And then five years later after that, we started having children and we renovated a couple of houses and and did that. And it was all exciting. Yeah. And we've got three beautiful children. So those early family years, were they also in Wayala? They were. They definitely were. And, yeah, we did house renovating, as I said. And um, my husband's family were into drag racing, building rails and funny cars and aortids and all those things. So we all were involved in those sort of things going all over South Australia with these rails and drag cars. And it was a different lifestyle then. It was just so different. And now you're three kids. They're all in Adelaide. Diane, help me connect some of your dots. Your daughter's now in the city. Uh, you mentioned before about becoming a lecturer in the city. Pick us up on your journey. Yeah, what happened that, in that part of your life? It's, yeah, I was probably quite involved again too. Yeah. Um, I started lecturing with TAFE, uh, training with them, and then I became a lecturer, and eventually I moved to Adelaide. I worked for Myers as a, a trainer and different things like that. And then my hus- uh, cousin's wife was dying and I went back to um, Cow where I was born. And then um, I loved it over here. So I ended up selling my house in Adelaide because my kids were all leaving home and everything. Mm-hmm. We had this beautiful old house, really mm-hmm. old. And I ended up staying here um, I didn't intend to, but I just love it here so much. And I guess my faith walk is what we really need to be talking about is um, when I worked for Myers, um, one of the other managers there, Debbie Kingdom, asked me, and she probably doesn't even know all of this too, if she's listening, um, said she wanted me to come to church with her. And uh, it was going to a Pentecostal church, and yeah. I'd never been to a Pentecostal church. And this is so amazing, this bit. I went and I didn't know what to expect because I'd always been brought up Anglican and really hadn't been in any other church ever. And I can tell you with all my heart, Jesus come and sat by me, held my hand so tightly and said, you need to listen to this message. This is the truth. Mm. And I didn't dare move the whole church service. Mm. And at the end of it, um, that feeling of him next to me, touching me, sitting there holding my hand Mm. went. And then, yeah, then people started talking to me about being born again and spirit-filled and fully immersed, baptized. And that, Sort of was like a roller coaster event for me over a few months, and I really haven't lost my joy. You're listening to the story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Diane Silvani from South Australia. Diane is the owner and manager of the Cleve Christian Book and Op Shop. We'll find out about the tremendous healing in her life when we return. The story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Diane Silvani from South Australia. Diane is the owner and manager of the Cleve Christian Bookshop. Before the break, we heard how Diane had a divine encounter with Jesus in church. Now we'll find out what happened next in her life. 
To you, what does it mean to come alive in Christ? It is the most, you know, I, I often think back to it. It is, I never want to lose it. <laughs> That's the whole thing. And I'm just so excited about Jesus every day. And and I remember thinking, you know, because in all this process, I actually got divorced and there'd been a horrible car accident and all sorts of things that mm. happened in there too. But I thought, why am I in love? There's, there's no one in my life that I'm in love with. And then I realized I was in love with Jesus. Mm. And he was talking to me. He was helping me uh, financially. It just sort of happened miraculously. And things started happening that I never even knew existed. But I don't know. I just pray and things happen and it's good things. And like the bookshop that I have now, it started off, it was given to me. And the day before I'd prayed the Jabez prayer, you know, brought in your tent pegs and all of that. And the next day the shop was given to me. And then I said, well, I haven't got a computer because when I was in Adelaide, it was Macintosh. And so I haven't got one that's compatible. And by the end of the day, I had one given to me. And it just goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> and I guess that's not what it's all about. But I've got so much resources that I can help other people financially, um, physically, and it's all a joy. I'm not saying it's, there's not hardships at times uh, by any means, but I, I can look back at my life and see all the things that happened mm-hmm. were preparing me for what I do now. Mm. How did this conversion experience fit in with what was happening in your life and with your marriage at that time? Um, well, I had a broken marriage and we separated, and but I'd had a really bad car accident and I'm a determined lady, um, and my injuries were really severe. I had broken sternum. I had double vision that I actually saw. They weren't even overlapped. There were two of everything. So Mm. if I poured a cup of coffee, I had to put my finger in it to make sure that was it. I had to get a a, um, dishwasher. I had to get an iron that would switch itself off because I had no short-term memory at all. Mm. Um, When I walked, it was like clomp, 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 and... When I went to sit on a chair, I just fall the last few centimetres. Um, they hadn't taken my licence off of me, so I would go out driving and I oh. learned very carefully to bump into cars and not dent them when wow. I parked and things like that. It was amazing what I'd learned. And they sort of said, "Didn't don't bend because I'd actually broken my back at the top and the bottom, but it was like a hair just holding it together. They didn't know mm. how I still was going like I was but it was getting harder even though I was working when I put my foot down on the floor to take a step there was all spasms going up my back. Mm. Diane in the crash were the others in your family also badly hurt? My husband only got a broken big toe, one of my sons got a broken collarbone and the rest got nothing. Um, I was in intensive care for about three months I think it was. Yeah. Um, my kids, my youngest daughter was only 12 months. She didn't even know me when I came mm. home. Yeah, it was all a bit sad. Lots of people had to do lots of things for me for a long time. Sad, but also very hard, I can imagine. Mm, it was probably five years before I felt that I was going to cope again. And mm. I remember walking down to my kids' school after two years after the crash, thinking everyone would come out and greet me and mm. say, it's so good to see you. And it's like they'd all forgotten who I was. Mm. <laughs> and I walked across the road to the bank that wasn't far from my house and, yeah, I was real shocked once you're out of people's faces, they forget who you are. It was really interesting. But um, then, yes, I got I had that experience of getting saved 
And they said, oh, look, there's a church right by where you live on Frederick Road. And so I went to that. And I think I got born again that day. I didn't. Yeah. That didn't really happen at the other little church. It's just that Jesus sat by me. Okay. And so I got that born again experience and I was on top of, you know, I was just on top of the world. And then the following week I got baptized. But before I got baptized, I started speaking in tongues and I hadn't ever known anything could happen like this. And then there was a healing meeting with this beautiful old man. His name was Gordon Gibbs. And he actually had a prophecy that he said, there's a lady here, she's 40 years old, she's been told this week she's going to be in a wheelchair permanently. He described my condition of my spine, he described the colour of my skirt and my blouse, and so I knew it was me. And I went out, and I don't remember what he did, and I just went on the floor and I was out for about two hours, and I woke up and I've basically never been sick since. (laughs) You were literally healed. Literally healed instantly. All of those things, short-term memory went, um, double eyesight went, because I'd learned to actually tilt, nearly bend over at my waist and tilt my head sideways so that I could see one vision instead of two. Mm. And the specialist used to have me as a guinea pig at the Royal Adelaide Hospital, what I'd learned to do, and they'd sort of bolt my head to the wall so that they could see how much it was moving, (laughs) my vision, whether it was getting better or not, but... So you truly have experienced the miraculous healing work of God. I have. I really have. And how long ago was this? uh, It would be 89. And how did that then impact your life? It's made me just want to tell everybody else about Jesus. I just can't stop talking about it. I want everyone to have it. I don't want them to have part of the message. I want them to have all of it. And Jesus is so willing to heal us. But in saying that, I remember inviting my mum down to Adelaide and she came come all the way from Wyala to Adelaide. And, and I didn't know I was going to be healed that night, but I knew I had to get her to this meeting. It was a weird thing. But she didn't believe it even when she saw me healed. And 20 years later, she got saved and she died praising the Lord at 92 in the end. That's very, very special. Yeah, eh? it was beautiful. Let's track forward. So currently, you're the owner and the manager of a Christian bookshop and a Christian op shop, the Cleave Christian Bookshop Mm. and Op Shop. Now, this has been set up as a part of your current local church, but it's also an autonomous business. How did that come about and how are you able to impact the community that you're currently living in with what you're doing? Well, I prayed that JB's prayer that my tent pegs would be broadened and the next day the Christian bookshop, which was only in one little room part of a butcher shop, was given to me. And I thought, oh, I've only just come back to help this, my cousin whose wife was dying and now I'm staying here and I've got the Christian bookshop. What am I going to do with that? But as soon as I took it over, um, all the staff got born again spirit filled too because they could see that I was different to the other people. And that was exciting. And then it just grew. And now a lot of those older people are getting too old to work, which is really sad. But often we have up to eight for lunch and I cook lunch for them and they sit and chatter and do things. And, you know, some of them have got dementia, some have got this. But, they, they, you know, locally they're all not sitting home waiting for their meals on wheels or whatever. They're coming in and chatting and mm-hmm. cutting up rags and reorganising the shop how they wanted or doing what they're doing. But but really, we help a lot of people in the community that people don't really know about, um, whether it's their toilet. Because some of the older people, even though they own their own house, aren't able to come up with the finances to fix their toilet or put the new water tank in or, I don't know, 
So the revenue, the dollars that you're generating is literally going into practical community service. Is that what you're doing? That's what I'm doing. And yeah. and the other part is, I'm just thinking up all these things now. When I took the Christian bookshop over, the Lord was telling to me I was going to live by faith. And, and I had enough understanding to know that we all live by faith. And God said, no, I'm going to provide for you. And I, and so then it was like that decision, will I take on the bookshop and live by faith? Anyway, I was walking up to the shop just thinking I'm going to have my last cappuccino and then I was going to have to live as a pauper. And this lady came up to me and she said, I don't know why I've got to do this, but I've got to give you $5. And that $5, I always keep this memory so strong in me, meant that I wasn't just going to have cappuccinos, I was going to have cream buns as well, Aww. which meant I was going to have luxury. Yeah. And from that day on, I've been around the world five times. I've been into Israel four times. I've been to America. I've been to, and we've booked trips. And we haven't been now for four years. You know, it depends who comes with me. But God just, and this might sound miraculous and really weird, but you know, the other ladies could confirm it. God said, "Book your trip," and we've booked it, and somehow it's got paid for. And we never told anyone because it's really scary doing these sort of things. It's not the normal, is it? Well, it's very faith-filled, hey. <laughs> eh? And we've done it. And we keep saying, well, it would be really nice to go again, Lord. But that was a season and it mm-hmm. seemed, does seem to be over, although as much as I'd love to go. Um, and the Lord just said, everywhere you put your, fo- your footsteps, you're claiming the lands for me. So, and that's what we did. Well, again, if anyone happens to be driving through Cleve or living within the area there on the Eyre Peninsula in South Australia, what's the name of your beautiful little business? Cleve Christian Bookshop. And you're open to visitations? Open for visitation <laughs> every day except Sunday. Because <laughs> you're too busy at church. Yes, come to church with us. <laughs> God bless you, Diane. Thank you so much for unpacking some of your journey with me and, and tracking through that. I totally wish you well, wish you God's favour and abundant blessing as you continue on your way. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Diane Silvani the owner and manager of the Cleve Christian Book and Op Shop in South Australia. And it was great to hear how God healed her and continues to provide all of her needs. Her life reminds me of the saying, where God guides, he provides. As the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Some powerful words that we can trust and rely on as our Heavenly Father is always there for us. Well, thanks for joining us for Diane's inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. My biggest song worldwide is a song called He Will Carry You. And it's an older song, but it just seems like everywhere I go, people ask me to sing He Will Carry You. And they've translated that song uh, more than any other song of mine into different languages. That song, I think uh, I've had more people email me testimonies of you know how God used it in their life. Scott Wesley Brown has been involved with contemporary Christian music for several decades, singing with all the big names since the 1970s. He'll share about his heart for missions and the stories behind some of his classic songs next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.